being an artist is, you know, having a strong sense of who you are as a human being and then wanting to share that perspective with the world. Print friends, and welcome to season four. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe, you'll be getting episodes in English as well as Spanish with Ronaldo Gilzambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. Products like their new line of professional relief inks, beginning with the flagship color Super Graphic Black, developed with artist-printer Bill Fick. Formulated with all the working properties artists demand, these light-fast inks roll out consistently, transfer beautifully, and clean up easily with soap and water. So if you want to take your practice to the next level, head on over to Speedball's website to see where you can pick up a can of your new favorite color. There's a link in the show notes. My guest this week is Jun Lee Song, a winner of the 2022 5x5 exhibition. This juried exhibition takes place during Print Austin, a spectacular month-long festival which includes 60 print-focused events serving thousands of audience members annually. The exhibition features five artists and will hang at Ivester Contemporary in Austin for an in-person show from December 11th, 2021 through January 22nd, 2022. Online programming is going on now for 5x5, so make sure you check out Print Austin's Instagram for details. In this episode, Jun Lee and I talk about her long and winding road through economics and children's book illustrations before finding printmaking the fantastical forms that show up in her work, and how one's life can be a series of catastrophes and still turn out quite all right. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to take the scenic route with Jun Lee Song. Hi, Jun Lee. How's it going? Hi, Miranda. I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you for joining me again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's my pleasure. (laughs) Um, So this is, you know, only the second precedent ever in Hello Print Friend history of having to re-record due to technical difficulties, which, you know, I think... 130 episodes in that's not so bad but... not at all and i'm sure in the era of quarantine everyone's had a lot of technical difficulties and we all know where you're coming from totally so i i'm really grateful uh that you're willing to come on and do it again and also really excited to talk to you again you know with more context and um to share your story because i i already know it's a great one yeah <laughs> spoiler alert um so before we we dive in to these questions in our conversation. Would you please introduce yourself and let people know who you are, where you are, and what you do? Absolutely, Miranda. Um, so I'm Jun Lee. Um, also, Happy New Year to everyone since this is being released today, apparently. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I'm an artist. I'm also currently an MFA student uh, at the University of Arkansas. So I'm based in Fayetteville. Um, I'm up exactly halfway through my degree at this point. Um, as for what I do, I usually describe my work as being largely about storytelling and world building. Um, I would say I entered this program largely as only a printmaker, but now I've been exploring a lot of different media. Um, So in addition to printmaking, I've been working in a lot of ceramics, um, and I've also started dabbling a bit in animation. Um, So I think because my my work is so much about world building, I'm very interested in thinking about how I can make work that starts to enter into other dimensions beyond the, you know, the flat picture. Um, So, yeah, starting to think about space and time and what that can bring to my work. Wonderful. And then where did you grow up and what role did art play in that part of your life? Oh, yeah. I remember this question. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I'm originally from Chicago. 
I was very randomly born in Berlin, <laughs> but sadly, I don't have citizenship because mm. of Germany. <laughs> yeah, um, all that f- that free education is, oh my I gosh, feel like, I would be know. a dream for you. <laughs> I, I would love to go there, but yeah, they're not letting me in. Anyway, <laughs> I grew up in Chicago. Um, I was very fortunate because uh, my parents really loved art, and my stepdad in particular uh, loves art, so I had these amazing bookshelves just filled with huge, beautiful art books. Uh, So I remember from the time I was really little and the books were probably half my size, you know, just being able to sit around and leaf through all of this wonderful artwork. Um, And then, of course, there are also amazing museums uh, in Chicago. So, you know, I also have wonderful memories of going there regularly, with, especially with my mom and walking around and seeing all this amazing work. Um, So I was very, very lucky and blessed to, you know, have grown up that way. Um, And so art has always been a huge part of my life. Um, And luckily now I'm also pursuing it professionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet art and art making, at least academically speaking, came to you a little bit later because you started out economics, international development. Mm -hmm. Tell me sort of about coming to that decision to study those works and that journey from the University of Chicago economics department, which sounds incredibly prestigious, I'm sure it is, (laughs) um, and then eventually shifting into making in the artistic sense. Yeah. Um, you you know, I think one good thing about re-recording this is I've had some more time to mull over. <laughs> I think last time I rambled for half an hour <laughs> about how this happened. Um, you know, I think that, you know, A, it's kind of crazy how we expect people to know what they want to do from mm-hmm. such a young age. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about that last time as well. Um, and so some people do quite early on, but I definitely didn't. Um, so, yeah, when I started my undergrad, I tried so many different areas. Um, and I'm also just naturally a very curious person and I love learning. So I'm very easily drawn into various fields of study. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I did some history and then psychology and literature and I was taking French. <laughs> and so I kind of wanted to do it all and I couldn't decide. So about halfway through my my BA, my parents sat me down uh, and they had they, they staged a bit of an intervention with me. <laughs> and they told me that, look, since you're not quite sure what to study, you're going to study economics because you're at the University of Chicago. You know, it's what it's known for. Um, and it's definitely something that obviously you can be employed. <laughs> having. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I had you know, a little cry session, (laughs) but ultimately (laughs) I agreed because they were right. You know, I didn't know that I had to pursue art or I had to pursue some other field. Um, You know, I I didn't have that certainty. And so I was scared too, you know, it's such a, it's such a crazy thing, as I was saying, for you to be 18, 19, 20, you know, even now, (laughs) I think it's so crazy to just know what you want and Mm go for it. I mean, Um, even it's, 37. You know, I'll be like up late at night and being like, I should really just live in a van. You know, like, like have those I have nomadic daydreams all the time. All the time, right? Yeah. Well, it's kind of crazy because oh, this is such a detour. My, my dad just retired and he's he's like departing on this crazy nomadic life, which I think is so beautiful and exciting oh, and also that. goes to show that, you know, no matter what age you are, you can always do that. You know, you can always decide to take off. And so I don't know. I'm very excited for him and to join him, hopefully. In part oh, absolutely. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I love hearing stories like that because right? I think we are, you know, you and I are both people who are very curious and get really excited by the new. Yeah. And And so when you hear stories about people switching careers at 50 or going and doing something nomadic after retirement, it really does fill my heart because I think I never have to be settled. I can always be changing. Yeah. Yeah. 
I totally agree. And I think, you know, we live in this society that puts so much value on youth. And mm. there's this idea that your life stops, <laughs> you know, after you're, I don't know, 40 or something. Yeah. Like, and then you have to resign yourself to just whatever you've done so far. Um, and so even if you've loved that, you know, I think everyone wants to keep evolving and changing and trying new things. Um, so it's always inspiring to see those examples and realize that, no, you can always still be brave. You can always still go into a new adventure and it's never mm-hmm. too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking just yesterday what a horrendous phrase, the wrong side of 40 is. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't even know why, but it's just it's just so insulting. and And yet, you know, when I was younger and I was kind of at my uh, peak of societal capital, you know, in terms of the way I'm perceived is like, is value is like, oh, it's a a pretty young blonde lady, Mm -hmm. you know, emotionally and spiritually, I was probably the most bankrupt, Mm. you know, and as I evolve and like lose capital in that sense, I just gain so much more mm. in where where it matters. And that's, you know, a cheesy phrase about like your internal world, but it's it's true. You know, it's it's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think there's so much I don't know, I guess confidence or just, you know, starting to learn who you are. And that feels really amazing. Um, I think when you're, you know, flailing around trying to define yourself, (laughs) we continue doing that. But I think just having a better sense of who that is just is a wonderful way to move around the world and to have a better idea of who you are within that world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if I want to use the word flailing to describe what you are after. I don't know that you could say international development at the University of Oxford is flailing. Well, it felt like it. I I mean, I... What what did I use last time? I think life crises. Yeah, a series of crises. A series of life crises. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I and I think we talked about this before, too, which is that we're all trying to write our own stories Mm. and that, you know, what felt like life crises, just one after another for me, looking back, I realized, oh, no, these are all just steps in my story and they're just different stages in my story. Um, Yeah, so we completely detoured. But yes, so I studied international development. Um, just because I, I knew that with my econ degree, I, you know, I was the, the weirdo in my classes because I definitely did not want to go into finance. Uh-huh. <laughs> I did not want to go into eye baking or hedge fund management. Um, you know, a lot of my classmates just, you know, there were a few who wanted to go into pure academia and, and they were actually passionate about econ, but most people just wanted to make a ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just not interested in that. Um, and I was, you know, from a young age, I didn't know what it meant. But I wanted my life to have meaning, you know, I wanted to do something that was valuable to me as a human being and not just um, having a big house and a fancy car and things like that. Um, Yeah, so so I actually had a gap year where I lived in Korea and just thought a lot about my life. And so, yeah, I ended up going on to study this development degree at Oxford. Um, But, you know, I just I I think it was part of my trying many paths in order to find the right one. And so that degree actually led me to, um, you know, dipping my toes a bit in anthropology, which I really loved um, and which really showed me the power of storytelling. And so that actually planted the seed then for me to start thinking about, um, you know, how do I tell stories then with artwork? And so the most logical thing I came up with was that I could illustrate books. Uh (laughs) Um, And so... You know, there was a little segue uh, in Italy uh, where I did some more soul searching after my Oxford (laughs) studies. um, I I ultimately ended up going back to England uh, because I found this this MA program in children's book illustration. Um, And so that was wonderful for me. I mean, it's the first time I was properly studying art, uh, even if it's illustration. And I know we'll get into this, but there's always that weird boundary between illustration and Right. Yeah. Um, 
But I'm so grateful for that course. You know, I learned so much. It was wonderful to finally be studying something that I was passionate about. Um, and it's also what led me to printmaking completely by accident and by chance. Um, and so, you know, and then, it's, you know, going into printmaking, I mean, that's led me to where I am today, you know. And so even though printmaking is still the main part of my practice, it's also broadened a lot since then. So it feels like, you know, life has been slowly but surely <laughs> leading me along this path to being an artist and yeah. to trying to be brave and to enter this career, uh, this career because I do think, you know, being creative professionally is so hard. And yes. I honestly think that if I could be happy doing something else, I probably would. <laughs> I think it's it's so, um, you know, so difficult. It's so risky. It's terrifying. <laughs> but, you know, apparently I can't do anything else. So yeah. Yeah. It's really funny. I've heard artists say that before, you mm. know, or just kind of like, but this is the only thing I'm good at. You know, like if I, <laughs> if yeah. I could... Um, you know, go install electrics in uh, camper vans, you know, I, I would and I'd be very if I could be fulfilled doing that, I would I would love that. But yeah, a lot of people are like, it's this is the only way I, I know how to live. And so we're here. Yeah. We're, we're in this place where we're putting creative outputs into the world and having to do a lot of internal wrestling to find out what that has to look like and what that's going to be. And then basically sharing it with everyone else and asking them to judge it. Like, what a, yeah. what a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. I think there are so many moments for all creative people where you think, what was I thinking? <laughs> so crazy. And this is so hard and painful. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I'm curious, can you speak to a little bit the actual training you get in a children's book illustration masters. Yeah. yeah. I mean, are they are they telling you how to draw foxes with hands? Or are they <laughs> telling you about creating narratives or, or how the, the images interact with the words? What does that look like? That's actually a great question. Um, I think a lot of people assume that you get trained in, you know, Photoshop and things like that. Mm. But uh, not at all. So and of course, I'm, I'm only speaking to my degree. Um, and it might be totally different somewhere else. Um, I think that's true with any field of study. Um, but yeah, I, I studied at Cambridge School of Art. And so the main focus was actually on the last thing you said, which was how do you work with uh, both words and images? Also, you know, wordless books. So essentially, oh, yeah. how, do you, how do you tell stories through imagery? So there's you know, almost no technical training in the sense of how to draw and things like that. And um, because it is a master's, they assume that you already know this thing. Uh -huh. Even though, of course, not everyone's coming in with, like, you know, background in art. Some people are coming from international development, for example. For example. <laughs> it's just for example. Um, but, you know, fortunately, I have been drawing and painting all my life. So that, that area I was kind of okay with um but you know they really throw you in and there was a lot of making dummy books so mock-ups um mm. there's a lot of I think learning how to work within the constraints of traditional publishing so your typical picture book which is 12 spreads um there's a lot of you know thinking how do you how do you you know work within such a short space um right. and also if you're using words how do you still tell a compelling story when it's so incredibly sparse, <laughs> you know, and so pared back, you know, how can you still bring readers along on a journey? And of course, then there's also all of the practical sides of, you know, how do you, what's your audience? Um, which, of course, we think about in all fields of art, right? But specifically in that course, you're thinking of a very young audience, usually. Um, yeah. A lot of us also wanted to make things that would still be interesting for their parents, you know, or for adults. Yeah, well, I, I feel like some of the most beautiful books are children's books. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and maybe because of that simplicity that you're talking about. Um, and of course, you know, I still get really moved by illustration, book illustration. My yes. brother and sister-in-law have an incredible three-year-old who, you know, because she's my niece, I happen to believe is the cutest, smartest, you know, well, blah, blah. Yeah, right. She's the best. She's the best baby. Yes. And seeing her read 
the children's books that I grew up with and being reintroduced to those illustrations. As someone who's now made a career in the arts, I have been delighted and surprised by how incredible that art is. Because you don't think about it as as a little tiny human, but now seeing it as someone who's made a living in this field, it's remarkable Mm. the kind of art that ends up in children's books. I agree. There are some absolute treasures. And, you know, when I moved here, I think I I only allowed myself one box of books, which is incredible (laughs) for me because I love books. But I at least half of them were just picture books. There are some absolute gems and I still return to them all the time. I find them so inspiring. And some of them are also, you know, beautiful and profound found and like it's amazing how deep some of these books are when you have maybe eight words on a page and it's just yeah it blows me away and I think also uh you know that course made me think a lot about just the book itself as a medium and how we can utilize the you know the turn of the page and also just the format of the page itself it's really powerful Mm. um so I don't know I mean I haven't made a book in quite a while but I still I still think about it a lot yeah well what an interesting training to receive as someone who then goes on and steps into the the fine art world and again um you know every time i see say fine art that is with inverted commas because it's very loaded and judgmental and you know has a lot of things but for lack of a better word you know the fine art world going from that that does sound like a kind of really sort of nuts and bolts training in visual communication that you don't really get in MFA programs, but probably would be quite useful going into one. I mean, I I hope so. (laughs) I hope so, because I am trying to tell stories with my work. Um, So I'm still very much trying to figure out what that looks like, um, what forms that takes. And You know, recently, I think I've started playing around a bit with abstraction, which is very strange territory for me. Um, So I'm not totally sure what's happening right now in my own work. Um, But at least, uh, you know, a a few months ago, I was pretty sure that I was still telling stories in a more Mm -hmm. conventional sense. Well, I think that that's where you should be when you're halfway through your mm. graduate degree uh, at least in the ideal world it's it's because you are being challenged and so you are saying oh gosh what what am I making I think that's yeah. a good sign There's a good sign people <laughs> yeah yeah so you said that it was through your MA in children's book illustration that you discovered printmaking you came to printmaking how did that happen yeah well so about halfway through See, the halfway point is something I think <laughs> something momentous always happens around It's a good time point. for a crisis, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. series of crises. Um, so about halfway through, I was having a crisis. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, and so I, I had always been, you know, working in a very traditional way. Um, so I did a lot of oil painting through high school. And then, you know, I loved charcoal drawing and pencil drawing. Well... No, actually, that's not totally true. I, I'm very impatient, so I get a little <laughs> drawing. But I, I, I still like it. But I, you know, I'm one of those people who loses a lot of patience when I have to fill in everything mm. with a pencil. It's like, why? Why would I ever do this? It's um, so small. Why is it so oh small? Oh my gosh! I yeah. Know. <laughs> it's like where's charcoal? You know, you can just smudge it all over the place. And yeah. Cool. Um, and yeah, also soft pastels. I love. And so I spent my first year mainly working in those media. Um, I think the problem for me was that, you know, I had trouble finding, you know, some people call it a style. Um, our professors like calling it a, a visual language. I had a lot of trouble making my own uh, voice heard, I guess, through my work. Um, and so everything felt very traditional. And that's fine. You know, I still love traditional artwork, too. Um, but, you know, it didn't feel like me yet. And so I couldn't figure out how to bridge that gap. Um, and the funny thing is, I, <laughs> you know, now my work is very graphic. You know, I have a lot of flat shapes and flat areas of cover color. Um, but at that time, I thought, oh, no, I'll never make work that's very uh-huh. graphic. Um, but, you know, because I was having this crisis, 
um, I had one of my best friends uh, who just kept telling me, I think you should try printmaking. I think you should try printmaking. And initially I kept telling her, no, no, no. <laughs> um, and a, lot, a large part of my hesitance was also that printmaking is so technical and I, I get very daunted and intimidated. Mm. I, well, and if you, if you like instant gratification, printmaking is not yes. the best medium for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we weren't, it's not like we were given courses in printmaking either. So I think the wonder of taking a class is you have someone to hold your hand and yeah. do it, right? Um, but we had, you know, a half hour demo on monoprint, a half hour demo on a relief print. Um, and uh, well, it was, I think, one hour for screen print because uh, our we had this amazing tech, uh, John, and he, you know, he did show us like cleaning and also then printing. So, you know, it obviously has to take longer for screen print and coding the screen. Um, and so, yeah, I was very scared and hesitant. Um, but because I was having such a hard time, I thought, you know what? I'm okay. Why? Why not? Let me just try this. And what's the most I lose? Like a couple of days, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I just I went in, and I mean, it's quite lucky. I think my first time trying out screen printing, it went smoothly, <laughs> and so as I quickly learned once I decided to commit to it. Oh my gosh, so many things go wrong all the time. But thankfully, that very first time went very smoothly. And so I wasn't frustrated. And you know, I found this new way of working. And I, I just, I still remember that first print really well. And I was so excited. I thought, wait, maybe there's something here. Mm. <laughs> and I loved the, I don't know, it really, it, it was really hard at first, because I didn't know how to work with color layers. I didn't know how to think that way. Um, but, you know, I think it's, again, that thing of loving learning and loving trying new things where I, I immediately saw this this challenge <laughs> that I had to conquer. Um, and so and my brain really hurt from trying to think in terms of color layers. But I also found that incredibly invigorating. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just, I don't know, my work started to evolve very rapidly through printmaking. And that was so exciting for me. Um, And then also specifically within the world of illustration and books, um, you know, printmaking obviously is so much about the paper and the page as well. Um, So that became a wonderful way for me to start approaching, you know, design and thinking about where text would fit in and how I could use white space. Um, and today, I mean, still, negative space is such a huge part of my work. Um, but at that time, it was in a very practical design sense. But yeah, printmaking really opened up that world to me. And then I also just fell in love with the process, too. And I fell in love with, you know, mixing my colors and then choosing color palettes and the beauty of paper. <laughs> and there's just so many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. It sounds like you you caught the bug or had the gene you know I mean this is just very very printmakery talk like once you start talking about the beauty of paper you're done for you're you're a lifer I just love it um and also yeah I should also just put in there too not to mention the beauty of the community you gain in printmaking I think um you know other art forms can be so solitary and I was always just alone in my room you know painting or drawing and then suddenly you know I was around people all the time and I had people to go and have a coffee break with and it was just it was wonderful it made me so much happier and I felt so much more fulfilled as well just having you know people to bounce ideas off of that was really a wonderful thing I gained I think in becoming a printmaker no but yeah it's that that element in in printmaking the way it becomes almost in in part communal art making because of the community and as you said like that ability to bounce ideas off of people or to just turn to someone and say why isn't this working or to have someone else ask you about their work Mm -hmm. and that opens up a door in your own mind that you hadn't walked through yet it's it's really quite magical and and I think part of the reason why people stay as one of the themes on the show is I came for the art I stayed for the community because it's it's the it takes some of that as you said solitary art making yes 
uh, it takes some of the solitary aspects of art making away, and that it can be really lonely. You know, I, I write a lot, and writing is totally just in your own head, and it means oh, you bet. know sitting somewhere completely alone, focused for hours, and you know, printmaking can also be that. But also, I think that, as you said, the communal aspect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you're when you're working all alone like that, I don't know about you, but I have these moments where I think, "Am I crazy? Is this stupid?" Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and yeah, you really need fresh eyes sometimes. Mm. Uh, and as you were saying, sometimes also just to ask, why isn't this working? Yeah. Um, sometimes the solution is so, so simple. Um, you know, I for me, an example immediately leaps to mind, uh, which is very early on when I had, uh, I don't know, I had been screen printing for a few months and um, I made... Uh, I made this print of, well, maybe you've seen it because you mentioned foxes earlier, but (laughs) dancing foxes. Um, And so, you know, I I spent ages preparing the layers uh, for them. And I didn't know how to use Photoshop at the time, so I couldn't test it um, until I actually printed, which now I realize is complete folly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So now, you know, I scan scan my layers after I've painted them and and I make sure they're working before I commit to printing. Yeah. ages but yeah at the time I used to just print it see how it was working and if it wasn't working I'd have to go back and change things um which I guess is a window into how people used to do it before technology yeah for sure <laughs> but yeah so I I had made this print and it just wasn't working for some reason and you know uh the the same print tech I was mentioning earlier John he took one look at it and he said you know what I think it, uh, I had I had First of all, this was so painstaking, so it hurt to undo it, but <laughs> it ended up being, you know, just the simple fix. And now I, I still love that print a lot. Um, and he just said, you know, I, I had done all of these floorboards on the ground. And he said, I think if you took that out, this would work. And that was it. <laughs> and I hadn't even thought of that. I just kept looking and thinking, oh, I hate, I am so unhappy. You know, I spent days preparing these layers. It's not working and I don't know why. <laughs> and he took one look at it and said, I think that's it. And it really was mm, it. Yeah. It <laughs> yeah. And just having that fresh set of eyes. And I think particularly yeah. when you're trying something new, yeah. you know, whether in this case, it was sort of the media for you, but also if it's something new conceptually, yeah. that's that really scary going out on a tightrope feeling. Is mm. this an insane idea? Am I going to plummet horribly yeah. and crash and burn yeah. and <laughs> having other people, even if they're standing kind of, I don't know, back on the other side of the canyon and being like, left, Go left, you know. <laughs> yes, well, I think in a way they have more perspective than we do because yeah. we're so close to our work, we're so attached to it, and also so emotional about it. So sometimes you need someone who isn't invested in it yeah. um, to just totally. casually totally. suggest something. So, do you find that you think very differently when you think about making art, sort of with the primary audience being children mm. versus the primary audience being adults? Um, I, I, yes and no. Mm-hmm. I, I, I always hope that what I make specifically for the children's audience is also compelling for adults. Um, but, but on the other hand, yes, I mean, I think that, um, I think especially in terms of legibility, I think that when I'm making things for children, although children are surprisingly sophisticated, I think, yeah. and they're imaginative too. Um, but and they don't feel any, uh, they don't feel any, what do you call it, compulsion to be polite either <laughs> about your work. <laughs> oh my God, brutal. <laughs> children are so honest, it sometimes hurts a little <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so there's that. And I also think, you know, they're also not tied down to um, a lot. You know, a lot of us, uh, once we, I think once we're past our teenagers, or maybe even earlier, we start thinking that things have to look a certain way, because that's the way we see them in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think children are not tied to that, which is really amazing and wonderful. And it's actually something I struggle with myself, where I constantly want to not be tied to those things. But I can't help it sometimes where I think well but no that person's in the distance they have to be smaller you know oh, uh-huh. um, all these little rules we've built up um, for how we are allowed to portray the world um, but yeah I mean I think that when I make work um, you know again with the air quotes for fine art mm-hmm. 
or just, you know, I'm, I'm mostly just thinking for myself at the moment. Um, and I think it's because the MFA is such a wonderfully indulgent and selfish period, you know, where you don't think about anyone else, really, but your own internal world. Um, you know, I, I think it allows a lot more space for uncertainty and also not having to communicate clearly. And again, that might be my illustration background coming in where when I make things for books, I'm always thinking, okay, but is this passing along a specific idea well? Um, you know, and also, you know, does this serve the story and things like that? Um, whereas things for myself, I'm, you know, I'm learning to become a lot more playful, which is wonderful. And that's something I always mm -hmm. um, in other artists. And, you know, there are absolutely illustrators who are incredibly playful. Some of my very good friends who are illustrators are that way. And I was always really jealous that they could do that. <laughs> um, but somehow illustration didn't bring that out in me. Uh, but being here in the MFA has. Um, so that's been really liberating and exciting to get into that space. Um, and also just to see see my work start to evolve kind of beyond my control, which is partly terrifying too, but yeah. I, so exciting. And sometimes I feel like I'm along for the ride and I don't quite know what's happening. Um, but, you know, I'm so curious to see where it will lead me. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really exciting slash terrifying mm -hmm. part of any creative process. You know, yeah. like when the music starts to play you or the writing starts to write itself yeah. or yeah. your art starts to kind of use you to manifest itself. And it's, mm -hmm. a, it's something that even, you know, the late greats of the Renaissance, like Michelangelo would talk about of, of the, you know, oh, like the, the sculpture is already in the marble. I'm just taking right. it out. You know, this I, kind of I idea. I liberate it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think when you look at um, people talking about like the intersections between spirituality and creating, that's mm -hmm. often where you see it come over too, is this people talking about being a vessel for something yeah. larger than themselves. Yeah. And so I'm excited for you, Julie. You're, you're entering the woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, give me all the woo-woo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I do think nothing is quite as trance-like as being in a creative state, you know, yeah. where you yeah. just magically lose five hours or something there's nothing else you do that is like that at least for me there's nothing else like that yeah I think it's what happens is we go into flow states and <laughs> Different people can get them in different ways. Like, you know, I've heard people get them snowboarding or um, they've studied horses and horse riders and that both the horse and the rider will go into a flow state at the same time. Or even people um, oh, like doing like, <laughs> yeah, it's really beautiful. Or the people will do it with dogs. So like oh. we'll do it with um, domesticated animals. Like, like if you're running, if you're going on a run or exercising with a dog, and if you're someone who gets that flow state through physical activity, you and the dog can kind of enter it at the same time when they hook electrodes up to your brain. It's, it's amazing. And I, it's one of these so what, what magical do things. Do they, what do they look at that tells them you are in a flow state? So it actually, your brain waves change. Um, oh. it's almost like in meditation, how brainwaves change. Uh, yeah. Okay. There's oh, a, there's okay. a whole book about it. Oh, please, please send me Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's either, so it might be called, this is like a very, um, patriarchal sounding thing, but I think it might be called The Rise of Superman. Okay. But it, that might just be written by the same author who wrote it because the, the guy wrote it about, um, flow states in sports and The Rise of Superman is, is, is about, uh, you know, these, ex these extreme records that start getting broken in sports mm -hmm. and, and, but the, how it's related to being in flow states. And anyway, I will definitely send it to you because it's super yeah. fascinating. It sounds so interesting. <laughs> and, and kind of, you know, mystical, which of course I love. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think, I think now would be a really good time to, to pivot and start talking about the, the content of your work. Cause we've sort of, sure. you know, set up for how you got there and your process. Mm -hmm. But so I was first introduced to your work um, when I was the juror for the Delta National Small Print Exhibition. Mm -hmm. And I just saw these 
amazing bodies dancing in a field. And because it was, I was a juror, it was a blind juring. Um, so, you know, all the names are, are taken away. So all you have is the artist statement, the image and the, um, you know, dimensions and medium and all that. Yeah. And I had never seen your work before, but I was just completely enchanted by it. And, and, yeah. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, I got an email from Kathy over at Print Austin and saying, yeah. hey, here's a list of people that you might want to talk with. Uh, who are in our five by five show. And at that point, I'd, I'd made my selection and selected your work and they, you know, unveiled the name. So I recognized yeah. your name from that. And so just, it was really um, kind of unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And it was these, these like full figured bodies with these round bellies and these large breasts. And then for where the nipples would be are eyes and where the belly button would be is the mouth. Yeah. And they're just frolicking in this pastel landscape. And I just instantly loved it. And it was these beautiful, light, light layers in lithograph, you know, just these like, like really kind of mystical, almost sort of see-through layers. And I'd love it if maybe you could, because that was the first print that really uh, I was ever introduced to. Mm-hmm. If I know that you do a lot, and I'd love to hear about the sculpture and animation as well, but can you just speak to that series of these mystical female forms in their oh. u- utopia of pastel? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, I think you've also cottoned on to some of my most important formal qualities, which is largely, you know, the translucency. I'm just, I'm obsessed with the overlays of color. Yeah. But yeah, let me get into the content. So, um, you know, it's just, this has been a body of work that I've been working on since the spring. Um, and I honestly, I don't know, it might end up being fuel for years. I, yeah. I'm not sure right now, but yes, it's all inspired by this uh, ancient Chinese cosmography, which is called uh, the Shanghai Jing. Uh, in English, that's roughly like guideways to the mountains and seas, sometimes also called the classic of the mountains and seas. Um, so it's this incredible. And so I hadn't, I kind of discovered it by accident because I really love mythology. Um, and I always have since I was little. And then last year I was doing a lot of research on uh, Chinese history and traditions. Um, and then, you know, one day I thought, oh, maybe let me look into Chinese mythology. And so I came across this book. Um, so it's very old. It dates back to around 400 BC. And so it kind of laid out this uh, worldview of the Chinese at the time of the lands and the flora, the fauna, the deities, the peoples uh, living in the world around them. So I found it really interesting, uh, this idea of Uh, you know, trying to map out uh, how you see the world. And so, you know, at the time I was (laughs) having my moment of crisis and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to say and what I wanted to do here. Um, And so I thought because I was confused, I could start uh, building my own world uh, and trying to work through all of that confusion through my artwork. Um, and so within this book, I found this one figure uh, called Xing Tian. And so Xing Tian was this deity, and he fought in a battle against the supreme god, who mm-hmm. then cut off his head, and he was buried at the base of a mountain. Um, but instead of dying, he metamorphosed. And so his nipples became eyes, and his navel became a mouth, as you were just describing mm-hmm. with my figures. Um, so... I reimagined him as um, this, f- uh, as female, and also in the multiple, as you know, really the symbol of feminist resistance. And so I named this new ki- character Ni Xingtian, and so she's really become my primary prota- protagonist throughout all of my work. Um, and now she's become this whole civilization. <laughs> Um, And so what I found so compelling about uh, this original origin story, um, because I felt it really embodied this idea that, um, you know, we it's not just um, upheaval or submission. Uh, You know, it's not that simple binary reaction that we have to oppression. Mm. Um, And so I found it very validating that, uh, you know, the way I experience my place in the world as a woman of color you know, it makes things more complicated and messier, and it gives this space for some nuance, right, and contradiction. I think we live in an age where it's such extreme identity politics, and people just want Mm -hmm. to check 
like one or two boxes and say, that's all I am. Um, but I've always felt that, you know, I have so many different facets of my life and so many different influences. So even though sometimes it's useful to say, okay, I'm, you know, Chinese American, I'm female, um, you know, I'm also interested in how those things intersect. And also, you know, all of the other things I've lived, I lived in my life, you know, having lived abroad, having a European stepdad, you know, those have all shaped me. So I, you know, I'm very interested in this idea that we grow in, you know, different ways that are a bit unexpected and that um, it's not always so easy to just reduce someone to these checkboxes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I, I don't know, I guess in a way, she, I wouldn't say, go as far as saying she's my alter ego, but she, she carries my spirit. <laughs> I work. Mm. Yeah. And so since, since I came up with her and that was, I don't know, maybe around February, <laughs> um, it's just grown since then. And this world has continued growing and, yeah, I've I've just been having a lot of fun creating my own mythologies within it and my own myths. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think that that ability to kind of dive into that messiness of the identity politics that, as you say, are so hotbed right now. Um and, you know, for for good reason and and the fact that, you know, we're trying to discover, I think particularly in the United States, what it is to be American. And, and I think, I think about this in the context is, you know, you've lived abroad and you, you know, for instance, Italy, mm -hmm. it's, there's such a clear definition of what it is to be Italian. You know, it's like we were, there were these, there were these warring states and there was Rome and then there were plagues <laughs> and then there was Marcus Aurelius and like now we love coffee. And like, of course, <laughs> I don't mean to be oversimplistic yeah. because I'm sure, you know, I know that Italy has uh, its extreme complexities and, you know, really diverse of uh, cultures um, within the different states. But I think particularly in the U.S., we're more likely to see differences among each other than sameness in the way that other countries with maybe a longer uh, non-colonial history might have um, a deeper sense of that. And so I, I do feel that like... Uh, the identity politics and exploring that and like diving into that is messy work, yes. but so important because I think it's, we're all struggling with these questions now of what are we collectively when we seem so divided and we're more likely to see differences than sameness, you know, um, in, in Thailand, you know, which has extreme politics and extreme division in politics between, you know, royalists and non-royalists, there's still the like, but we're Thai, you know, <laughs> like mm -hmm. that lives in there in a way that like, I feel like we don't really feel in the States. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I think I think America is and it's both good and bad, right? That yeah, we yeah. are this nation of immigrants. And unless you are indigenous, <laughs> you, you know, you, you came from somewhere else. And so it's normal that we have this crazy mix of cultures. And I think it's, yeah, we're learning how to live together and how to be together and still, you know, still have compassion for each other and mm. still respect each other. Um, and so I think that's the incredibly hard thing. And also that there is a significant portion of the population who thinks that there's only one way to be American. I yes. think that's the real problem. <laughs> and that's, yeah, and that is really when things get yeah. just bad. Like, I tend to be someone who tries to really see all sides of things and not make, you know, very strict... Um, you know, uh, like simple, overly simplistic statements, but I'm like, no, 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 that's just bad. <laughs> like if you think <laughs> that you have it. So yeah, um, for yeah. sure, for sure. Um, and so you also said at the, at the top of the hour that mm -hmm. you're working in animation and sculpture as well and trying <laughs> and trying. And so, you know, you're yeah. saying that, uh, are you still working with, um, your alter ego is she is she yeah. coming with you into these new media she is <laughs> she is absolutely um so yeah one of one of the first things I made earlier in this year was her and so I started out with um sorry I'm talking about ceramics right now. yeah yeah yes so um you know and they all they're all uh you know I, th I think the prints are always the birthplace of my ideas but 
Um, so I had started making her my prints, and then I decided to try making her in ceramics. <laughs> mm. Um, so yeah, my, my first attempt at that was um, in porcelain with celadon glaze because last year I was really, uh, you know, trying to dig into all these traditional Chinese ways of making. Um, and so now I've moved a bit away from that just because, you know, as we were just talking about, I, you know, I don't want to limit myself to just being ch- just the Chinese part of my Chinese American self. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yes, um, so I've made a few, an- another recurring character in my prints is <laughs> the flying boob. <laughs> you might not have seen that one. <laughs> I have this flying boob, <laughs> uh, which my niching tin rides sometimes. <laughs> so I have not had the pleasure, oh, but well, <laughs> I really look forward to being introduced to the flying boob. <laughs> so yeah, so my, my latest way of making ceramics, which has been quite exciting. It's been since the fall. Um, exciting for me because I think it's finally starting to carry the same visual language as my prints. Um, so that's something I've been trying to resolve since I started working in ceramics here. Um, so yeah, now they're, uh, oh, I don't, I shouldn't even bother trying to describe them. Anyway, so yeah, I started with uh, my flying boob. And so I've, I made like a mini flock. So there's three of them. Uh, and then I, uh, yeah, right before my finals uh was was that last month it feels so long yeah um but yeah I also made two of my protagonists uh, the Ni Tian. um they are a bit more you know like I don't draw eyes and things like that but they're covered with uh, patterns um and the patterns are certain motifs that are recurring in my prints or in the myths I'm creating so <laughs> one of them is Although, you know, now I realize no one else but me sees them. <laughs> I need to work on communicating that a bit better. Um, but, you know, also I, the ceramics are evolving constantly. Um, but yeah, so the two that I made are a dancing ones. So you'll probably, uh, you know, feel echoes of my print that you saw. Um, yeah, and they're covered in these patterns. And I'm also trying to figure out how to get those overlays of color on my ceramics with underglazes and glazes. So that's very exciting for me. And I do just love working with clay. I find mm. it fun. <laughs> it's just so fun. And there's this wonderful um, Chinese creation myth of how humans are made. And so the creation myth is that um, Niuwa is like the the... A mother goddess, I guess. So it's quite interesting because Chinese society is very patriarchal. Mm-hmm. A lot of historians think that ancient Chinese society was actually matriarchal. Um, and so one of the traces you can see in that is this origin story um, where Niwa uh, actually created humanity. Um, and she did it by, <laughs> she was at, at the river, I think it was. And mm-hmm. she's reflection and she felt lonely. And so she decided to make herself companions um and so i'm getting into this story because she actually makes them out of mud yeah <laughs> starts forming all these little people out of clay essentially so i i kind of see some echoes of that in my desire to start making uh, my own little figurines out of clay although obviously i am not a mother goddess <laughs> but you know oh don't sell yourself I short I am. <laughs> the origin point yeah yeah yeah. Uh, oh, and then with animation, uh, that's much newer. And whew, I'm not totally sure where it's going. But I just I, I think, again, it's with the storytelling, it just seems natural to want to be able to work with something that goes, you know, starts working over time. Um, I was actually very inspired by I love uh, William Kentridge's uh, animations. I, I think they're so amazing. Um, so although I'm not doing, uh, you know, he just wipes it away because <laughs> it's fine charcoal and takes photos. Um, but it made me realize that, oh, wait, OK, animation doesn't have to be super slick. <laughs> I don't need tons of uh, knowledge and how to work in Photoshop and Illustrate and all those things. Uh, because, again, remember, daunted by technical uh-huh. Um, but still, you know, I, I started thinking, okay, you know, what if I can just do some line drawings, but you know, by hand, and then, uh, you know, fill in those shapes and have those become negative shapes, and then have those start to move across, you know, layers of color, that felt manageable. Of course, it ended up being so much more complicated than I thought it would. Um, so I had to learn a new program. Um, so I'm still kind of coming to grips with that. Um, but I think I think it's I or at least I hope it's going to be an exciting and new way of working for me. 
Mm, yeah. And this is such a, a wonderful time to be able to explore it, um, yeah. you know, in grad school. Yeah. 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 Yeah, because yeah. I, I have people I can actually ask <laughs> questions to. <laughs> so, you know, story of my life, I had a demo <laughs> of the program. I was like, okay, let me just try this. <laughs> um, and yeah, I've, I've just gotten a new iPad for Christmas. So oh, awesome. uh, my, my, my pencil is coming soon. <laughs> so I, I, I hope it will streamline a bit of the process because it's just been very slow because I, you know, I draw it and I scan it and I clean it up and then I vectorize <laughs> it. It's really been a pain. Um, and doing that for just tons and tons of drawings is quite hard. Um, but yeah, so I essentially, I, I, I start with my lithographic layers, um, at least in the one animation I've done so far. Um, and I also did another tester. And so, yeah, I, I scan each separate color layer and then I kind of made an animation based on that print. So um, I'm also happy to say that I've updated my website since oh, last good. Um, so you can actually see my current work now on my website. Um, so yeah, I've uploaded that one animation there. Um, so it's based on one of my prints, um, which you can see in the print section of my website. Um, but yeah, and just just playing around with that a bit. Um, but I think, you know, I think I might start. I'm not sure. I, I, I would like to encourage myself to also be quite experimental and make some things that aren't clear sequences. Um, but then I also want to illustrate and to um, make animations of some of these, uh, you know, little myths I have in my brain as well, mm -hmm. or even just little, little sections of them to start planting those seeds of, uh, you know, in viewers' minds of, well, okay, where are these things coming from? And, <laughs> you know, who is this creature and where does she come from? And yeah, all of those little things. I think there's a lot of power in seeing something unfold before our eyes. And so I've always found animation very compelling. And yeah, I, I think I think it's going to be a good resource for me too. Yeah. And I would imagine that if, from what it sounds like, you know, your animated figures aren't speaking. Um, and so... Would you say that maybe kind of some of that training in nonverbal storytelling, is mm. it coming back, do you think, when you make the animations? Oh, gosh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would love to dive into that and thinking more about that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, not in the one I've made so far, because I'm, I kept it very simple <laughs> as a test. But um, yeah, I think thinking about pacing thinking about scale. Yeah, mm. all these things are so essential in telling stories through pictures. So yeah, I, I think even if I'm not consciously thinking about it, it will definitely play a huge role. And yeah, it's it's useful. It's useful to have that. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love it. I mean, because it's, you know, your winding road, you always pick up things along the way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I you saying in our previous conversation, nothing is wasted. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that was our theme. Yeah, yeah. nothing is wasted. <laughs> that it's just, yeah, everything you do, it's, mm. it's just more information. And I think that, you know, as you had pointed out earlier about our obsession with youth, and we were kind of given this narrative of, of you know, especially I think as people who are socialized female, you're peaking at 19, yeah. You know, and then it's just downhill from there and you just have to like scrape <laughs> and try and hold on to some semblance of youth so you have any value at all. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, which I really hate, obviously. Um, I think that's very, a very, very toxic mentality. But I, I, I really love much more this idea that we're on this journey and we're, we're, we're picking up what's useful to us along the way. Right. And it's each step is leading us to the next one. And so you can, <laughs> you can show up at your next chapter with the tools that you need. Yes. I love that perspective. And then there's this idea that you're more, you know, there are things you couldn't have done when you were younger and you're more prepared now. Right. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, at least personally for me, the pandemic has been a time of great reflection, and I don't think I'm unusual in that. <laughs> and, you know, kind of really having to slow down and see what's there when it gets quiet. And when you don't have mm. such a distinctive forward momentum that you yeah. can hold on to as a sense of identity, what's left. Mm. And... I came to the conclusion that, you know, really up until about like a year ago, 
was kind of an asshole. You know? <laughs> I'm sure that's not They're obviously lovely. <laughs> but like, and then like, you know, and, and, and just the, the ways in which like, I, you know, I, I, I still can be, you know, and there's like these, in, these internal narratives and that you just have to kind of fight against it. But anyway, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's just kind of funny that way that, uh, I'm, you know, so much more useful. I feel like as a human being now mm-hmm. to myself and to others mm-hmm. at yeah. 37, you know, because I went to a bunch of different schools, I didn't know what I was doing. And because I've had plans shatter in front of me and have to pick up the pieces and figure out what I'm going to do next. And because I've gone through um, death and loss and fear, like, um, but you're still here. I'm still here. And I'm and I and 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 that, yeah, that's so that, that that nothing is wasted. And I, I love hearing your winding road story, because mm. you're making this incredible work. And it sounds like you're you're really, it's really lighting you up. And it's, yeah. it's giving you joy. And it feels like it's where you're supposed to be. Mm. And you've, you have all these different tools along the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, you, I, that you had to pick up so you could do it so you could be here. It, yeah, yeah. I, I think that if I had gone straight into a BFA when I was younger, I don't, I honestly, I don't know if I would be an artist today, you know, because I don't, I don't think I knew who I was. I don't think I knew what I wanted to do with my work. And I think so much of being an artist is, you know, having a strong sense of who you are as a human being, and Mm -hmm. then wanting to share that perspective with the world. And I just have that at the time. And, you know, some people are fortunate to have that quite young, but I didn't, I think I really had to live my life Mm -hmm. and, you know, go down these different paths before I realized what was really important to me and what I value and what I care about what's important to me as well. Yeah, I I really identify with that. that, And I remember even being young, you know, being a freshman in college and being aware that other people had some things figured out already that I didn't. No, <laughs> exactly. I just felt like such an alien, and yeah. I like I had to go learn just by falling down a whole bunch, mm-hmm. um, and finally, you know, really stumbling forward, trial and error, yeah. to figure out what I wanted. And yeah, not everyone has to do that. And and I don't know. I I really think that that's where you can see that metaphor, or even not a metaphor for some people, of talking about old souls and new souls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I was, I was just so new that I was just like a little alien baby that had to figure <laughs> out things. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, yeah. I don't it, know. I mean, it, it doesn't matter how long it takes, right? The important thing is you get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, I mean, I think many people spend their whole lives not knowing those yeah. things. Yeah, or not even asking. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I think that's so sad. I mean, no, no disrespect to you <laughs> happy just going along with the flow but I don't know I just I I find it so exciting when your life has a purpose and that you're moving through your world you know with goals and with dreams and with visions and um yeah I I don't know. I I feel lucky to have that, I guess. Um, yeah. The seeking, the seeker gene is uh can be disruptive and it can make you live in a bunch of different countries and, you know, not have a savings account, but yeah. <laughs> but you get incredible experiences from it, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah I think that's so important, you know. We Oh, that's so cliche, but you only have one life, right? Yeah. You have to you have to make the most of it and you have to live it. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I was I was talking to one of my oldest and dearest friends a couple of days ago about this idea because he's also someone who's like um no i'm gonna have a sailboat around the world no i'm gonna drive a motorcycle from alaska (laughs) to argentina no i'm gonna you know like this kind of a person and i was talking to him and i was like you know david some people aren't like that and he was like i don't believe it like he like couldn't conceive (laughs) he's like he's like he like couldn't conceive of a life where you're not seeking where you're not like what's next what's my next thing and i was like Mm -hmm. no 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 i've met them some people are happy to just go to work 
come home, watch Two and a Half Men, and go to sleep. Like, they live. I've yeah. met with them, you know? And yeah, again, <laughs> yes, me too. I've met them too. And, like, some of them are friends of mine. Absolutely. Know? Again, no shade. <laughs> like, because yeah. they, they seem very content, and I would yeah. never want to shame anyone for their contentment. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I'm jealous because I think the highs we get, are equally matched by the lows. Yes. <laughs> you know, when you when you seek out all of those things. Um, mm, yeah. You, you have such big dreams, but then you're also so disappointed sometimes. <laughs> and also you're very dissatisfied, I think, when life is just, you know, going day by day and normal. And <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's so... What's, what's going to happen next? And I, I don't even mean, you know, in the sense of your friend David or of like traveling around the world but you know even just in the studio you know mm-hmm. I get very discontent when something new isn't happening or something isn't exciting me <laughs> like why my life is horrible <laughs> yeah 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 it's that's so funny so Tim and I just yesterday got our dogs from Bangkok that we've oh. been <laughs> tooth and nail fighting to get because it's been incredibly complex it's been thousands and thousands of dollars and cdc regulations and like crazy layovers in dubai and like this t- tim had to drive to lax and then drive them back and it has been our thing for months get these dogs get these dogs they arrived last night and this morning i was looking at them and i turned to tim and i was like so what's next like you know, like <laughs> So we got the dogs now. I need the next thing. Like, oh like gosh. I got six yeah. hours of contentment and now like I need my next like fire, know. you know? <laughs> no, I was just lamenting this with a friend I think last week. Why, you know, why doesn't my happiness stay longer? <laughs> you know, something good happens um, and I'm really excited for a few hours and then it just wears off. <laughs> it's so annoying. I need the next I thing. I be happier longer. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. Well, I guess on on that note, do you have anything on the future and on the horizon that you want people to watch out for? I mean, there's the the five by five, which uh, yes. uh, print Austin, which is what brought us here together today, mm-hmm. um, and then of course the Delta National Small Print Exhibition as well, yes. um, which is at the Bradbury Art Museum. Yes. Besides those two that I know of, is there anything else you want to plug or that people can follow you and, and look for? Um, not right now, but if you follow me on Instagram, I will definitely be sharing anything. I've been, yeah, it's been interesting. This, I mean, because, you know, you mentioned earlier, you'd never see my work. I just, because I just start submitting to things this fall. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I plan to continue submitting to things that look interesting to me. Um, I haven't realized how horribly expensive framing is, though. So yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the bad news now that you're a printmaker. <laughs> oh, it really hurts. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's nothing concrete right now, I don't think. Okay, um, well, so. I think, I think we'll being <laughs> into exhibitions uh, in 2022 already... Uh, here on uh, New Year's Eve of 2021, I think that's that's plenty. So, um, would you like to let people know your Instagram handle so they can they can yeah. find you? Yes. So my Instagram is uh, arts with an S. Make sure there's an S. I get art of song all the time, but it's arts with an S of song. So S O N G, which is my last name, but I also like that it's a song. <laughs> and my website is the same. So www.artsofsong.com. And it's finally updated. So, (laughs) see, that's why the recording had to just disappear, (laughs) is so you could have a couple of extra days to update the website. It's all coming together. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it felt so good to do that. It was a big check on my to-do list. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, it has been completely a delight again to speak with you, and uh, I really look forward to sharing this conversation in just a couple hours. And um, hopefully uh, our paths will cross again. I'm sure they will. And maybe we'll see you in person at Print Austin. Uh, All things, you know, finances and variants and plane cancellations and life, you know, um, uh, if it all falls into place, it would be great to connect in person there. Oh, I would love that. Okay. All right, June Lee, have a wonderful new year and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. (laughs) If you liked today's episode, we do have a Patreon. 
where you can help us keep the lights on here and get bonus content like Shop Talk Shorts with our editor, Timothy Pauschak, who digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with our guests. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Anna Trojanowska, Polish lithographer extraordinaire. We'll talk about her love of lithography and getting lost in the process, litho on marble, running her own studio, and having a heart of stone. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.